guys a little bit of update, just uh, update, <laughs> insight uh, into my background. If you've never uh, been here before, I don't come from a religious background. I never went to church my entire life. At the age of 34 years old was the very first time I ever sat in a church service. So I had lived in the world, done all the things that you're not supposed to do, and had done that and knew nothing else about it. But what, thank God, what happened was someone interacted with me. Someone shared the truth of who Christ was into my life. And I went from being broken and having questions and doubts about what was to be and what was life was all about and understood the fact that there was a purpose, even to good and the good and the bad. And I was supposed to dismiss the kids, but I think they've already already left out. So let's let all the... Are there any kids that need to slip out that I've not gotten? I think they're all gone? All right. Um, if we were going to do this today, we're going to cover uh, the book of Joshua, where we've been for a good little while now. Um, Joshua is an amazing study, and it's got some really cool pictures. One of the things you're going to find out is the Old Testament and the New Testament, they work together. The Old Testament works as a picture book. It kind of shows us examples, physical examples, of things that will help us to sort of understand a principle. And then we'll see that concept or that principle taught to us in the New Testament. So the two kind of work together. A picture of a ball and the word ball work together to help us to understand it. So what we'll do today is we're going to be taking a picture from the Old Testament. We're going to be opening up and seeing how it fits into our specific lives. So we've been in the book of Joshua. This is our 61st message. Last week we were in the, the message, uh, which is called Setting the Stage for Victory, Part 4. And last week what we did was we actually looked at that message. It's called Smoke Signals, uh, the defeat of the flesh, or the flesh's defeat. And what we're doing is continuing to compare that historical record of this battle that took place at the city of Ai with the spiritual battle that takes place within us. The flesh and the spirit battle between each other. And we took note last week as the city was burning that the smoke had a purpose. One of the things that it did after the mighty men of valor had come in and attacked this city, understand Joshua and his men are, are running away from the city. They're pretending like they're afraid and they're scattering and, this, and all the soldiers have come rushing out of the city. And while they do that, the mighty men of valor that were in hiding come and they light the city of fire. So the city's burning and as the soldiers look back over their shoulders, the ones that are chasing the men from Ai, they get this horrific realization that, oh my word, we are, we're defeated. So the smoke sent them a signal of, of defeat. And what we're going to see today as we correlate this to us is the fact that we recognize that the flesh is a picture, or, or, the, or AI, the city, is a picture of the flesh, a representation of our flesh. And then we look at the soldiers, and the soldiers are a representation of the works the works of the flesh, the sinful deeds of humanity. And so when we looked through that, and we looked at here, and we saw that the, the, the city was burning, what had happened to the soldiers, the works, was they lost their strength. They lost their power. They lost their confidence. Because when they looked back, they realized that they had, they had no home. And when you and I surrender our flesh to the Spirit of God, and God starts to work, God starts to deal and address with our flesh as we surrender it. What we'll find is the fact that the works of the flesh, our sinful life, guess what? Those sins start to lose power. They start to lose impact, in fact, because they have no home. So where the smoke signaled to the warriors of AI, the works of the flesh, defeat for the Spirit of God, which is pictured in the army of God, guess what it did for them? It empowered them. It encouraged them. And can I tell you this? When your flesh is laid at the altar of God, that, you, that the Spirit of God is, in, is empowered in you, not that we get more of the Spirit. People will hear that term, being filled with the Spirit. And people go, oh, man, you just got a lot more of the Spirit, man. You were running low. Good thing they topped you off a little bit of Spirit there, bro. No, it's not like that. The Spirit that's within us. When we get saved, guess what? We have all we're going to need. What it's talking is about is what, how much control, how much, in, how much influence the flesh has. So when our flesh is being surrendered and the smoke rises from our flesh, guess what, man? The spirit is empowered. And when this is taking place, what happens is the, the, our whole goal is to turn at this point. Because recognize, when the soldiers are running away in fear, or pretend fear, and, they, and AI is chasing them, when they're running away and that smoke catches the eyes of the AI soldiers, what happens? And their confidence is lost. The soldiers of God turn and face their enemy. And what you find is when we see the smoke, it's an indicator that you and I, we're supposed to turn and face the works of our flesh, the things of our past. Galatians 5.16 says this, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Surrender to the Spirit and watch the flesh be empowered. And that's exactly what's happening. 
And then we also took note of the fact that when the smoke was rising, not only did it send a signal to the men of AI that they were defeated, and not only did it signal to the army of God that they were uh, going to be victorious, but it also signaled to the mighty men of valor to come and help. So they were sacking the city and lighting things on fire. And when the smoke went up and they were like, okay, we've done our job, they came pouring out of the city to now trap the men of AI in between. And what we saw and what we did was correlate this, understanding the fact that it's a picture. It's a picture of the church. It's a picture of other Christians coming to the aid of those that are battling the flesh. So what happens when we have people that are out there who are confronting the sins in their life. They're dealing with the heart that they've struggled with. They're dealing with their pains of the past. And as they're struggling with these things, what we're supposed to do as a church is come alongside them. Our job is not to judge anyone. We don't, we're not above anybody else. Our job is to come alongside those that are trying to get right and help them in any way we possibly can. We pray for them. We walk with them. We cheer them on every step of the way. And as they're confronting these issues and they're struggling and they're, they're going through difficult times, man, they need to not feel alone. Because again, I promise you that the devil loves for people to feel isolated. He loves to give you. know what? People, people start struggling with stuff and guess the first thing they do? Stop coming to church. You know, I just don't feel right being in there, man. I don't know. Just, you know, I just, it'd be better for me just to watch it online maybe and then we're going to watch it online. I'll watch it later. Now I'll watch it. Now I'm going to no, watch it tomorrow. I'm really going to watch it tomorrow. Tomorrow. Oh, no, no. Tomorrow. No, I'm mowing the grass tomorrow, so I can't watch it tomorrow. No, I'll watch it on Tuesday. Tuesday. No, gosh, we're having lunch, aren't we? All right, I'm going to get to it, I promise you. Is that what happens? Yeah. So what happens? We feel isolated. We feel separated. And well, as a church, we have to be willing to go, out, go that extra mile to help support those that are in the fight. And then the very last thing we saw was as a united force, what they did was they captured the king of Ai, the authority of the city, which is represent, representation of the authority of the flesh. Can I promise you that this world wants to be the authority of your flesh? And it will give you everything that it possibly can to feed that flesh and to keep you away from God. And what we find is the fact that they surrendered the king of Ai to Joshua, a picture, a biblical picture of Christ. And in doing so, they lay the authority of the city at Joshua's feet. And when you and I, man, and when we surrender the authority of our flesh to God, man, listen, that's where victory comes in. Because unfortunately, most of us want to do things our way in our own strength. And we questioned last week, we were thinking about it, like, look, who has the authority in our life? Is it the Spirit of God? Are we ruled and led by Christ and by His Word? Or are we ruled by our emotions? Are we ruled by what we see on TV? Are we ruled by ourselves? Because recognize, we have to make a choice. And what we find is the fact that the Israelites, guess what? They made the right choice. They surrendered the authority of the city to Joshua. And guess what? They're going to continue to do that as we tell their story today. So today... What's going to happen after defeating the men of Ai, after surrendering the, the king of Ai, now what's going to happen is they're going to go a step further. And now what they're going to do is they're going to turn back to the city. They're going to actually go back to the city and deal with the remaining population. In part five of our message, Setting the Stage for Victory, today is called Cleaning House. All right. Now, in doing so, what we're going to do today, we're going to see the external enemies destroyed. We're going to see internal enemies destroyed. And we're going to see Joshua directing the conquest. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of time that we have just to be in this place at this time. Lord, I pray that you would take this message. And Lord, you know that I have prayed earnestly. I have studied earnestly. And God, I've done all that I know to do uh, to deliver what it is you've given me. And God, I do pray that, uh, Lord, you'd help me to get out of the way. You know, I do not want to be important. Uh, if there was a way I could disappear, boy, I sure would. Uh, but, Lord, I've been called to do this, and, Lord, I just pray that you help me to, to do just that. And, Lord, I pray that you would speak through the words today. I pray that, God, you would grip our hearts and, Lord, help us not just to be hearers, but, Lord, help us have ears to hear that we might not only hearers but doers of your word. Lord, I pray that you would shape me, that you would change me. If nothing, no one else gets anything out of this, Lord, that you would help me uh, to deal with this same battle that we all fight. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua chapter 8, verses 24 through 26. It says, And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, wherein they chased them, and when they were all fallen on the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned unto Ai and smote it with the edge of the sword. And so it was that all that fell that day, both of men and women, were 12,000, even all the men of Ai. For Joshua drew not his hand back, wherewith he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. So at this point in time, the tide has completely turned. Previously, Ai had whooped up on them. 
totally vanquished them. But now, man, the, the, the men of Ai who had been chasing these soldiers are being wiped out in the plains in front of the city. And understand, what's interesting about this and what's significant is about where this is taking place. Now, we certainly know that it's going to be outside. But in regards to that, there are going to be some awesome details God's going to show us in our battle between the flesh and the spirit. First of all, let's examine the external enemies destroyed. Verse 24, And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, wherein they chased them, and when they were all fallen on the edge of the sword until they were consumed. So this is the battle taking place just outside of the city walls. This is the external threat, okay? This is the external threat. And this is an all-out slaughter. That is exactly what's taking place. These fearful, hopeless soldiers of AI are be, have seen the flames that are behind them. They've lost hope, and they're being eradicated, completely wiped out. And we can imagine the melee that would be taking place at this moment. Humanity against humanity, men armed with weaponry, facing off. We can imagine there would be clashing of swords. There would be screams. There would be roars of anger. It's an ugly, awful business. But can I tell you that it has to be done? Yeah. It has to be done. Evil must be faced. And it's never, never pretty. For you see, if these men are left to live and they're allowed to prosper, guess what? It's just a matter of time before they will circle back and guess what they will do? They will bring destruction upon God's people again. And what they will do is they'll focus their energy and their time on rebuilding the stronghold that they once had. And as we mentioned last week, listen, as we recognize our sin, it's not just a matter of recognizing it. No, we must take ownership of it. We must recognize it for what it is. Sin is rebellion against God. Yep. Simple. Rebellion against God. We are either walking in faithfulness with God or we are fighting Him. Sin is nothing more than rebellion against God. And listen, it is time that we rebuke it in Jesus' name. For you see, this battle that is outside of the city, this is key. This battle that's taking place right now is pointing to the external battle that is, that is taking place in the lives of believers. Consider what you, the way we live our lives. If you're a believer today, the way we live our life is what's called our testimony. It's the testimony of our relationship with God. So there are external things that people see in our life that indicate our walk with God. Some may be good. Some may be bad. But can I tell you that your testimony is the way that the majority of people in this world who don't know Christ are going to judge God. We've heard it said that the only Bible most people will read will be the Bible that they read in your life as a Christian. And the question we have to ask ourselves is this. If you are a believer today, when people read your life, what are they learning about God? Do they see Him? Or do they see us? It's an, if they see sinful acts, actions and reactions in us, that are ungodly? Can I tell you it's time that we go to war with the works of our flesh in our lives, that we need to kill them? That's what's being pictured for us here. This is an absolute eradication. Because listen, if we do not do that, it is only a matter of time before they will resurface. Because you really, the way that sin works, its influence is it's subtle and it's seductive. It's subtle and seductive. And you know what? A person who's not surrendered to God, a person who's not repented of their sin, that subtle, seductive sin will show up in their life. James 1, verses 14 to 15 says this, But every man is tempted, every man is tempted, when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and when sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The results of a sinful life are death. Maybe not for you. Maybe you're a born-again believer. Maybe you're saved and you're not going to deal with death. But can I promise you that the byproduct of our life of sin is death for someone? It's for our testimony, perhaps? The reason why most people are struggling in this world is because you know what? They're flirting with death. There's testimony stinks on ice. People know of them. They don't think, man, godly. No, they think they're just like everybody else. They look just like the world. 
That's not what we're called to be. The Bible says we're supposed to be sanctified. We're supposed to be holy. People should see a difference in us. I'm supposed to be a light in the darkness. And can I promise you that this world is dark? It is dark. Go on the internet for 15 minutes. Just do some just general reading and following stuff. My word. Dark. Dark. But the Bible says that we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be a light. The whole goal is we must kill the works of the flesh. And when you go, okay, that sounds great. Super kill the works of the flesh. How do you do that? Now, great question, and we're going to get to it, but not yet. Um, but before we get there, what I want us to do is pay attention. Like I said before, we're going to pay attention to a couple of details in this account that tell us something really, really cool for us personally. And it's not as simple. Recognize, we know this is taking place. Verse 14 told us this, 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 this battle is taking place in the plains, okay? In the plains outside of the city. But what's very interesting is we get further on, God gets very specific about the location. Notice what he says in verse 24. When Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, wherein they chased them. In the field, in the wilderness. So it's not just the plains anymore. It's a field in the wilderness. And what's interesting is when we picture this, this is the, the works of the flesh being killed in the field, in the, in the wilderness. And what's interesting about these two terms is they have a very interesting biblical reason for why they are what they are. There's a biblical representation in the wilderness. Now, when we studied through the book of Exodus and we looked at the Joshua and we looked at it as they came out of the, out of the, uh, out of the Exodus, what we saw in that whole Exodus picture was here was a bunch of people that were under the bondage of sin. They had a taskmaster over them called Pharaoh. And here they were in bondage. And they cried out for help. And God sent them a deliverer named Moses. And Moses brought them out by a miraculous work, by the blood of a lamb, by the way, that brought them out. And they, death passed over them. So they were set free from death. They went through water. And then they ended up in the wilderness. It's a picture of salvation. It's a picture of us in the bondage of sin in Egypt, which is a picture of the world. And here we are, captive in the world, held bondage to our sin, on our way to destruction, and we cried out to God, and what He did, He sent a deliverer. Amen. And He brought them out. And He delivered them. And guess where He brought them? To the wilderness. The wilderness. You know how long they were in the wilderness? For 40 years. You remember when Jesus went into the wilderness? You know how many hours he was there? Or for how many days? 40 years. 40. Man, I'll get it all together. Y'all know what I'm talking about. 40. 40 is a number of testing. Guess what the wilderness is? A, a place of testing and trial. And so once we come out of salvation, once we come through the water of baptism, we end up in the Christian life, which is pictured in the wilderness. And what's the wilderness all about? It's about making choices. It's about challenges. It's about trying to follow God when all the things of the world are going to throw themselves at us. That's what's being pictured. So here we see fighting the flesh in a Christian walk. But did you recognize it also talks about the field? Notice this, Matthew 13, verses 36 through 38. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. This field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. And as we correlate this to us, we understand the fact, listen, this is talking about the battle that's being fought. Not only in the lives of Christians in their Christian walk, but these are the sins of our past that follow us out of the world and into our Christian life. How many people today, you're a born-again child of God, there are habits or things from your past life that follow you to this day and you still struggle with? Yeah, amen. Most of us. So here we see this picture. And listen, old habits die hard, yeah. don't they? Yeah. But they still need to die. Yes. That's the point. That's what we're seeing pictured before us. Because guess what? We're talking about our testimony. Our representation of our relationship with God to this world. God includes the field, which is the world and the wilderness, the Christian life for a reason. Because you know what? The works of the flesh show up in both. Yeah. They're in both. And what did God say? He wanted them to kill them. All of them. Notice verse 24. And when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai 
in the field and the wilderness. They were to be merciless. Romans 8 verse 13 through 16 says this, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit, listen, do mortify the deeds of the body, that's saying kill the works of the flesh, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For if ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, listen, you've been brought into the family of God, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, that's saying like, Papa, crawling, calling up in the arms of our loving Lord. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And as His children, we've been entrusted with the most incredible weapon that can defeat any foe. No one can stand against it. It's described for us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, as the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Amen. Listen to Hebrews 4, verse 4, 12, says this, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of, the so and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It is a spiritual weapon that can do unbelievable spiritual things. So here we have this spiritual weapon for fighting evil. Listen, this is how we kill the works of the flesh. It's by way of the sword. Do you remember what they used? Verse 24, and when they were all fallen on the edge of the sword until they were consumed. So when it comes to the battle with our flesh and the works of our flesh which are mimicked in this account, Listen, what it's telling us is the power of God's Word. It's that that sets people free. It's that's the power from the power of sin. Because recognize there are people that are in bondage to sin here today. They've got something in their life and it has a weight on them, has control over them. They're living under this burden of a taskmaster that's driving them to the ground. And they're begging for freedom. And God's given us what we need to set them free. If it's from the lingering sin of the past or something you're currently battling. Can I tell you, you can be set free? Listen, John 8, 32. Jesus said it this way. He says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free. If you're in bondage today, you don't have to stay in bondage. Freedom is available. And listen, it's God's truth that vanquishes the lies of the devil and our flesh and our imagination. And listen, we can vanquish it in every area of our life. Victory in our Christian lives is through the Word of God. But you see, there's a caveat. Because it's not just a magic thing. You don't just be like, okay, woohoo, swinging in the air. That should take care of it. No. We don't bang people with it. No. Guess what? It's a matter of doing what God tells us. How do we use the Word of God? Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How do we do it? How do we do it? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. We do things God's way. Verse 10. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Listen, when we go to the word of God, are we really going there seeking him with our whole heart? Or are we just reading some words because we know we're supposed to? You know what? I went and read the Bible. Yeah. How you feel? Eh, you know. I read it. It's <laughs> the way a lot of people are. But are we earnestly seeking Him with our whole heart? And when He does speak to us, man, are we faithfully following His Word? Or do we wander? He says, Oh, let me not wander from Thy commandments. Because you know why He warns? Because listen, we're all prone to wander. That's just who we are. We're always going through life like this. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, And ye shall seek me and find me, God speaking, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Listen, God's given us all we need to be victorious in this life. All we need. The variable is not God's word. The variable is not the power of God's word. The variable is our hearts. It's our hearts. Verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. You know what this means? Listen, he's allowing the word of God to be the authority in his life. It's directing the way he thinks, his actions, his reactions. 
And listen, it's not just for the sake of us having victory over the sin in our life. It's certainly powerful for that. But listen, it's bigger than that. Because there are people that are watching our lives. There are people that are understanding who Christ is through the way we deal with life. The way we deal with adversity. The way we surrender our will to God. They're judging Him through us. 1 Timothy 4 verses 15 through 16 says this. This is, this is Paul's advice to Timothy. Meditate upon these things. Meditate. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. Listen, that people would see your life and they would see what God's doing in you. Your testimony, Timothy. Take heed unto thyself and unto, thy, unto the doctrine, the teaching. Continue in them. For in doing this, by following the Word of God, by being faithful to it, thou shalt both save thyself, look, and them that hear thee. Our testimony is bigger than just us. It's all those that are judging God based upon the way we live our life. We're being watched whether you realize it or not. People that know you're a Christian are watching you. Not to see you succeed, by the way. Yes. They're waiting for your fall. Because then they can say, see? See? Told you. It's all just a bunch of crap. You know why I wasn't raised in church? Because my mom was raised in an environment where people claimed one thing in church. Oh, bless God, brother, yeah, brother! But during the week, totally different story. And it was hypocrisy that she saw in the lives of others that made me never be in a church. We never went as a kid. Not one time. Didn't have a Bible in our house. Never prayed. Never talked about God. I didn't know anything about anything. The only reason I had ever heard the Christmas story is because back in the old days when Peanuts used to come on, the cartoon came on, they had Charlie Brown Christmas, Lioness would read Luke 2.11. That's the only reason I, that's the only time I ever heard it. Never before. You know why? Because she decided, I'm not going to introduce my kids to that stuff because you know what? It's just a bunch of lies. People are watching. Our kids are watching. It's so important. We kill the works of the flesh through surrendering ourselves to God and living His Word. That's the key. Living His Word. Listen, verse number 11 says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. What this means, man, is he's allowing that authority to be completely his surrender to God. He's literally living the Word of God. There's victory over sin. There's a way to have victory. And listen, it is absolutely crucial like I said, not only for us personally, but for those that are watching our lives. So we have the weapon we need to defeat our enemies as we kill the works of the flesh in our lives through the power of God, through the sword of the Spirit. Praise God. And we witnessed so far that, yes, it certainly dealt with the external threat that they were dealing with. And when we look at this in the lives of a Christian, those external threats are the things that show up in our life, in our testimony, these external sins that people can see. But you see, we're going to see what that sword can also do to the internal. Because the next enemy is an internal enemy. The internal enemy is destroyed. Verse 24, that all the Israelites returned unto Ai and smote it with the edge of the sword. And so after wiping out the armed forces outside of the city, the soldiers are now, as a united force, they're going to head back to the city. This picture of the flesh. So the main threat has certainly been dealt with. Those things that could be seen, those things that were scary, they've been addressed, they've been dealt with. But there is another threat, one that's not easily seen, one that's hiding in the city. And can I tell you, this pagan city has women and children in it that are enemies of God as well. And if left to their own devices, you know what they will do? They will avenge their brethren. Young men, young women with hatred in their heart, women that are going to avenge their husbands. And you know what it pictures for you and I? You know what it pictures? The works of the flesh that don't seem so bad. Not that big a deal. They're not, they're not a threat right now. And see, whether we want to do it or not, you and I judge sin. Yes. God doesn't judge sin. Up or down, one's higher than the other. All sin is sin. But what we find is the fact that we rate sin. We have a little white lie on one side, and we have armed robbery on this side. Now, one, we can certainly go, wow, that's, <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> it's really hard to justify armed robbery in your mind somehow. You know, it's, 
I needed the money. I mean, and the gun was just laying there. You, 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 could just, it's just, you just can't make it. You can't make it okay. But little white lie. Now that one, I don't know now. That one we can justify. Who's ever done that before? Oh yeah, yeah yeah uh, yeah 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 yeah. I mean, they didn't need to know that I ever slept. That's irrelevant, really. <laughs> <laughs> they just need to know that I was on the way. That's all they need to know, right? <laughs> And just by the way, just to make things clear, there was traffic on the road when I was on the way, by the way. Right? So we can justify the reasons why we do these things. And what's amazing about something like lying is lying is just so common. Yeah. It's everywhere. Right? You, you, we have the attitude nowadays when we hear something, we're always like, yeah, whatever. You read something on the internet, you're like, that's got to be a fact. Who's just like me? You're like, oh, right. Yeah. It's like you see those quotes. It's like, you know, da 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 Abraham Lincoln. I'm like, whatever. He didn't say that. Attack that on anything. It's like, you know, charge your battery before you leave the house. Abraham Lincoln. I'm like, what? It's ridiculous. <laughs> so we have this issue with, with trusting what's around us. And so we go, okay. But the problem is because it's so prevalent, it makes it seem like it's not a big deal. It makes it seem like it's not really a threat to us. But can I promise you this? It is still wrong. Yeah. In the eyes of God, it's still wrong. Notice this in Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. It says, The six things, these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. Look at the next one. A lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood. Verse 18, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that, that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness, notice this, that speaketh lies again, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. It doesn't say that he just dislikes them. It says that he hates them and that they're an abomination to him. But what's interesting about this is pay attention. A proud look, pride. Pride is internal. It's here. It's internal. But its external display will be in a, like a lying tongue. And guess what else? Hands that shed innocent blood. Our pride can literally drive us to have a life of deception, anger, wrath, judgment upon other people. Notice this. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Internal. What's the external manifestation? Look Feet that be swift and running to mischief. Man, they're always dealing with struggling, causing fights and, and anger. They're always got a bad attitude. False witness that speaketh lies. They're denigrating and run people down. He that soweth discord among his brethren. Everywhere they go, there's unrest. Because you know what? When your heart is wrong, your life will follow. Yes. That's key. Our heart must be right. So here we have this internal struggle, the internal sins of the flesh. Though they may not be seen like the external ones, can I promise you that they are just as dangerous? Just as dangerous, because you know why? External threats all originally manifested as internal ones. The sins that come out of our life were sins that we thought about, that we made choices over. And that internal sin, because it was not killed, it was left to live. And the longer it lived, the more it matured and the stronger it got. And eventually, guess what it did? It overruled what we thought we should do and we ended up following it. Listen, Jesus addresses this and He uses one of the most heinous, one of the most destructive external sins that we can imagine in Matthew 5, verses 27 through 28. He says, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. When he says that you've heard of old time, he's referencing back to the Old Testament. This is the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Verse 28, But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Internally. It's that desire of the heart. Listen, all sin starts internally. And no, no matter how harmless it may seem, no matter how innocuous it may seem, if given time, it will mature and it will destroy us. All sin, all sin these sins that are hiding out in the nooks and crannies of our hearts, they must be rooted out. They must be identified, confronted, and destroyed. They're going back to AI to hunt out those inhabitants that are there. And the weapon that we're to use 
is the same weapon. Did you notice what it said? The sword of the Spirit. Verse number 24, that all the Israelites returned unto Ai and smote it with the edge of the sword. So it's God's Word. It is the only thing that can truly cleanse us from the inside out. Listen, as Jesus explains this to us, He's going to, do a compare, he's going to pair a, compare a physical husband and a physical wife. He's going to compare this to the relationship He has with His church. He's the, the husband, we're the bride. Take note of what Jesus uses to cleanse His bride in Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives. Even, notice this word, the two most important words in the Bible you're ever going to see, as and like. As and like. They're always, God's getting ready to give you an example. He's saying, I'm going to show you something. Husbands, love your wives. How do we do it? Even as Christ also loved the church. Right? Listen, and gave himself for it. That love, husbands, if you're here, God's calling us to love our wives sacrificially. Selflessly. Well, she'll get my love if she did them dishes. <laughs> my car has been, has been a mess. She, man, she can take care of that. Getting the love for me, girl. Right? Listen, it's not, it's not earned. It's just given. Jesus, we don't, we don't earn or, or deserve the love of God. Man, we are wicked. We're wicked. We're deceitful. We lie. We turn. We're unfaithful to God all the time. And yet He loves us. Sacrificially. And that's what we're called to be. Love is not a feeling. Love is an action. It is a choice. And we do this. This is not my message, but husbands, this is, listen. That's the way you got to love your wife. Because guess what? If you do, man, it'll change her world and change yours as well. It's so important. So we see this example. Verse number 26, that he might, why does he do this? What is his purpose? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So that word can make them holy and without blemish. He can make them spiritually clean. And listen, there are people that are struggling with feeling filthy right now. Their lives are filled with all kinds of junk. And they go, I just want to get it out. I just want to get, man, God's given us what we need. Amen. The Israelites are going back into the city, this picture of the flesh, and they're going to cleanse it of all evil. And when we address our sins, our sinful desires, those things that are lurking in our hearts and minds, we're doing the same thing. We're rooting out these things. We take our supernatural weapon, God's Word, and we apply it to this. We go and fight the things that are wrong. And when we start searching for the evil in the dark corners of ourselves, we do so under the authority and direction of God. He's directing us to do so. Listen, they're cleansing AI and Joshua is the one directing the entire thing. It's not the men directing it, it's him. Last, part, last verse, I'm almost done, you guys are doing great. Number three, Joshua directing the conquest. Verses 25 and 26. And so it was that all they that fell that day, both of men and women, were 12,000, even all the men of Ai. For, the Joshua, for Joshua drew not his hand back, wherewith he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. And what we see here is that Joshua made certain that there were no survivors of the inhabitants of Ai. They were to show no mercy to God's enemy. And can I tell you, listen, when we address the sins in our lives, we can show no mercy. The, sin, the sins that are seen and the ones that are unseen. That means even our pet sin. Most people have one. I just have this one little area. Just this one little, I mean, it's not big. I mean, God understands. You know, he's, he's giving me an okay on this one. And, you know, and, and it's just for me. It's kind of a special thing he and I have got going on. Uh-uh. No such, no such thing. Whatever it is, if it is not pleasing to God, guess what we need to do? Take our sword and kill it. In the authority of Christ. Directed by Christ. Because you know what is? That feeling you know when you're doing that thing and that little inkling, ah, ah, ah. That's called conviction. That's the direction of God to get out the sword 
didn't kill it. God is trying to work in our hearts. And one other thing. Did you catch the credit that was given for the victory? It's not the mighty men of valor. It's not the army. Notice verse 26. For Joshua drew not his hand back, wherewith he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Notice, it's Jesus. And what's pictured for us is the impact of this entire thing is all through the power and the authority of Christ. Because recognize this, even with the right weapon, if you're not doing it through the power of Christ, it's just a book. It's just a bunch of words. And you can claim it and read it and memorize it all day long. But if it's not in the power of God, it will do you no good. It's the authority of Christ that brings the victory. Notice this. Notice. Take note of this. As we're gonna, I'm almost wrapped up. As we look at this, when, when God has given advice to us and He's instructing us and preparing us for spiritual battle, okay? It's in Ephesians chapter number 6. Notice this, from verse 10 to verse 17. I want you to see where he starts. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Okay, before we go any further, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Make sure that God is your authority. Make sure that the Lord is the one directing you through what you're getting ready to do. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Listen, he's telling us, he said, this is a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Because that's the case. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore. Here we go. He's going to armor up. He says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. This armor, what he's referencing, he's talking about a Roman centurion's armor. And that armor had a belt that was built into it. And when they put all the parts together, there was a cinch that they would go, there was a, a scribe that would come behind them, and he would take all the little straps, and he would take those straps, and he would pull them. And when he did, guess what? The whole armor would cinch up nice and tight. And so what happens? The whole basis, the foundation of the entire armor is the truth, right? The Word of God. Notice next. And having on... The breastplate of righteousness. What does a breastplate do? It protects our heart. He's saying live righteously. Amen. Protect your heart from the wickedness of this world. Live a holy life. Live a sanctified life. And guess what? You can protect all the vital organs of your heart and life. Put that armor on, man. Put that on. It's righteousness. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. He's saying, look, your path will be a gospel-driven path. That you would share the peace and the love of God with this world. Notice next. Above all. Look at this one. Above all. This is the most. He says, look, of all your armor parts, this is the one that's the most important. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Because the shield is the variable. All those other parts, once you get them on and you tighten up the belt, guess what? They're in place. But the shield's not. You can hold the shield down like this. You can set the shield on the ground. You can tie it on your back. You can carry it by one finger and swing it like this. But the problem is, most of us, because our faith is so wavering, we go into battle and guess what we're doing? Our, feet, our shield is down like this. And guess what? There's all these little gaps in our armor. And the shield is there, because most important, because guess what it does? It covers all those little dangerous places, all those little weaknesses. You know what? The devil fires at me. You know what? You Man, you're worthless. You don't have any value. You know who you are, where you came from. You know the things you've done? You know in your heart who you really are. And God's, uh-uh-uh. You're fearfully, wonderfully made, David. By the way, I have a purpose and a plan for your life. I called you out of the mire and the muck. And I chose you to do what you're doing. Bring that shield up. Bing! Man, he can fire at you all day long. But with a shield of faith properly used, it does not have any impact. It never touches you. How incredible. And he's given us that. But it's a variable. Notice this next. Wherever you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and the helmet of salvation. Our mind. The battle we fight is here. Doubts, questions, fears. And the devil preys upon our mind because if he can get us to doubt, he can weaken our faith and drop our shield so that he has free shots. 
But listen, God gave a promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. doesn't say might be saved. It says shall be saved. A promise from God. If you've received Christ as your Savior, no matter what your flesh may tell you, the Word of God supersedes that. And He tells you, listen, if you've called out to me, you are my child. And I don't care what the devil says, that helmet of salvation, that knowledge of knowing who you are and whose you are can protect your mind. And the very last one, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. You know, a sword is an offensive as well as a defensive weapon. You can strike your enemy, but you can also stop him as well. And that's what the Word of God does. And you know why it's not in the Bible? This is my own take on it. But you know there's no back in that armor? It doesn't mention the back. Because I believe the reason is because you and I as believers are to be back to back. I'm watching your back, man, and you're watching mine. I don't need to worry about my back because God's created a family around me that will pray for me and fight for me. That's my own take, but I like it. (laughs) We've been given all we need to live a life of victory, armor to protect us. Man, a sword that we can fight our enemies. The problem is that most Christians, listen, Though they have access to everything they need to be victorious, they don't use it. They can have victory in the spiritual battles that they're facing and fighting right now. But instead of armoring up and sharpening their sword in the mornings, you know what they do? They fill their head with the things of the world, listen to a bunch of garbage, and go out trusting in themselves, Trusting in their own strength, relying on their own abilities, following the guidance of their own minds and human wisdom. And they wonder why their lives are a wreck. Listen, we have what we need. If we would just live our lives, putting our faith in God and allow Him to guide us, to guide us into the battle that we're fighting against wickedness. And listen, it's so important. As we go to the Word of God, We can slaughter the works of the flesh through the power of God. Be they external or internal, we can address them all. We can live a victorious Christian life. Look what it says in 1 John 5, verses 4 through 5. For whatsoever is born of God, Christians who are born again, overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Listen, defeat or victory will be determined by, listen, whether or not we will face our fears, face our, face our sins, the things in our lives that are not pleasing to God, whether they're internal or external. And we address them. And we clean house. Because most of us, our house is a mess. There are things in the nooks and crannies, and it's high time they be dealt with. Because can I tell you, God's called us to be more than we are. Notice this in Leviticus 20, verse 7. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and notice this. Be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. Guys, we know what to do, right? It's simple. It's straightforward. And you know what? We heard from the weapon that God's given us. He's instructed us how to win the battle. Now we just have to do it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you've uh, shown us some incredible truths uh, just through the simple concepts that are shared with us through the book of Joshua. Thank you, Lord, for the pictures we see. Thank you, Lord, for the truths that we've heard. And I pray, God, that for my brothers and sisters, if there's one here today who says, you know what, hey, I'm, I'm in the thick of it. I am battling right now. I've got some issues in my own life that I am struggling with as we speak. My flesh has been strong, and I'm trying to get the victory. I want to see smoke, but right now I'm in, a, I'm in the heat of the battle. Pastor, would you pray for me? Pray for me that God would give me the strength that I need to surrender these things. If that's you today, I'm not going to call you up, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and say, look, that's me. Pray for me. Pray for me. I'm, amen. Amen. Anybody else? Say, look, I'm pray for me. I'm battling stuff right now, and I want, I want to get the victory. Amen. Amen. And if you're here today and you say, look, 
I don't even know where I stand with God. Guys, I can relate to that. 20 years ago, I didn't know anything about God. Nothing. But someone took the time to tell me just the simple truth that I was a sinner, that I had messed up my life, and boy, I knew that. But he said, you know what the amazing thing is? Though you are a mess, God loves you right in your mess. And you know what he's doing right now? He's reaching out to you. The Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And as Christ reaches out to your heart today, all you have to do is receive the gift. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A gift costs the giver, but it's free to the one that receives it. This is a free gift that God offers. It's about a relationship with Him, a restored relationship that we broke because of who we are. He loves you. He wants to restore that relationship and walk with you and help you to use the sword of the Spirit to get the victories in your life. If you're here today and you say, I've never received Christ. I don't know Him personally, but I know He's calling me. I want to receive Him. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. There's no magic in this prayer. It's a matter of your heart. The Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If he's calling your heart right now, all you need to do is respond. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, this is something you can do in your heart and mind. No one will see. But you can talk to God. I'm going to lead you in prayer. It won't be the words that will save you. It's your heart that God's listening to. So if you sincerely call out to Him, He will save you. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ as your Savior. Lord, I understand and know that I'm a sinner. I understand that, Lord, my sin separates me from you. But God, how amazing it is to know that you love me in spite of myself. I understand that you died on the cross and you paid a sin debt that I can never pay. You made a way through your death, your burial, and your resurrection for me to have a home in heaven. Right now, in the best way I know how, I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins, and I'm asking you to give me a home in heaven for an eternity. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Head still back.